Thank you, Ruth Ann. Thank you, Anita. Until that day comes, we are to be faithful, seeking to walk with God, living out the life we have in Christ, living out Scripture as a body of believers. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jude. Zach and I preach through Jude. We're going to read through the entire book this morning and then reflect on some of the teaching or teachings that certain men might present, just some examples and how we should respond. Keep in mind as we read through Jude that he begins with making it very clear that believers are loved by God, they're kept by Christ. He concludes with the same theme, and between that he deals with false teachers, he deals with certain men, and the fact that they're kept for judgment. Jude, verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about a long, long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their position of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against what they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They've taken the way of Cain. They rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They've been destroyed, by, or destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. Their wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy angels to judge everyone and to convict 
all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. I realize this morning we won't be explaining a specific passage, but as time permits, some examples of that which would be taught by certain men. Men who turn the grace of God into a license for sensuality. Men who deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. I'm not out to name any men, that's beside the point, but just some items that have influenced the body of Christ and the greater Wyoming Valley. First of all, we'll touch on relationships in conflict. Conflict is part of life. I don't care what area you're in, conflict has been true ever since Adam and Eve. We can't escape it. We can't deny it. But we can respond to it. And when I mention about conflict, I'm talking about primarily leaders. And that deeply influences those that they seek to lead. But one of the responses, or I shouldn't say one of the responses, a general response by leaders many times is to divide, to leave, to separate, to start something new, to overlook heart sin, to blame, to accept passivity. That seems to be something that's been around for years. You go back to Israel, they struggled. The body of Christ down through the ages, there were struggles. And in our own valley, our own area, leaders are tempted to divide, to leave, to separate, to start something new, to overlook heart sin, to blame, to accept passivity. 
And that is evident when it comes to church leaders and pastors versus the congregation. <laughs> pastors, church leaders, many times are tempted to be at odds with the congregation for maybe a variety of reasons. And sometimes pastors and leaders think, I'm called by God to lead this church, so I know what to do, and they better get with the program, and if they don't get with the program, then I'll pack my bags and I'll go elsewhere. You know, it's my way. You push people to do what you want. So what happens... You go elsewhere. Or if you remain, leaders push the difficult people out. Shepherds do not run nor drive out difficult people. They pursue transformation. And they'll be broken in their own lives. So leaders, pastors, parachurch leaders, things don't go their way. They turn the grace of God into a license for sensuality to get what they want. They deny the lordship of Christ by dividing the body and starting something new. And that affects local bodies in that divorce in the body of Christ, which is a division, which is a separation, which is, I don't like what's happening. Go your separate ways. I think the prevalence of divorce in the body of Christ goes back to church leaders. You say, how? If leaders in the church, if shepherds in the church are not modeling reconciliation in how they lead. They can't lead couples to be reconciled when they have difficulties in marriage. What is sown by leaders is being seen in followers. And then also the parent-child barriers Parents and children have difficulty in life. And that's part of raising kids. But how they're handled and responded to, I think goes back to a model provided by church leaders. I was given a book on shepherding by another pastor. And he just said to me, I found this very interesting he said, you might not want to read it through quickly. You might want to read one chapter and then the next day read another chapter just so you have some time to think about it. And the account is coming from a man who spent a year in the Middle East talking to shepherds, real live shepherds, doing interviews, spending some time with them, going out and taking care of flocks with them. And he gave the example of 
a father who had entrusted the flock to his seven-year-old son. And his seven-year-old son brought the flock back that night with one sheep missing. And the author thought the father was somewhat harsh and strong, but the father said to the boy, you go out and you bring that sheep back and don't come back until you find the sheep. And the boy went out and came back a couple of days later without the sheep. With fear and trembling, but in the process, someone else had found the sheep. What was the father doing to his children or to his son? Saying, son, caring for sheep is serious business. What leaders do influences others. Depends on how leaders respond as to the example that is set. If a leader is not leading well, pursuing the divide, leave, separate, start something new, overlooking heart, sin, and so on, he fails to provide a model of humility, of brokenness, and character development. In relational conflict. He's teaching you walk away from difficulty. What does God desire? What is Christ's will? What is Christ's plan? As it relates to relational difficulty. And I'm talking primarily leaders. And I'll make applications to followers. First of all to acknowledge that Christ is the head of his body. Christ is the head of his body, singular, not bodies. And that's brought up very clearly in Ephesians and Colossians. Also, there's a need to rejoice in difficulty and relational conflict. Romans chapter 5, 1 through 11, talks about the fact that we can glory in what's coming in the future. And then he says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our struggles or trials. James 1 talks about the fact that there's to be joy and difficulty. In other words, also in light of Romans 5 and James 1, to remain under the difficulty. Now, I'll tell you something about leaders and shepherds. I've been here almost 40 years now. And there have been times in those years that I said to myself, I'm done. I said to Ruth Ann, I think it's time to move on. But those times always came when there was some conflict or things didn't quite go the way I wanted. And each time I had to go to God and say, God, where are you at in all of this? Why 
And he would bring me back again and again to Ephesians 4. Where he says, walk worthy of your calling. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another. And then let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. In relation to conflict, whether it be in the leader's life or believer's life, the Lord would bring me back to check your own heart. And what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verse 1 of Matthew 7, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So if I want to judge others, then I need to be willing to be judged by the same measure. But notice what he says in verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when at the same time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Relational conflict, whether it be in a leader's life or a leader in a church, or whether it be in a marriage, whether it be in a family, or on the job, a willingness to examine yourself. I'm going to pose a question, and I'm not looking for a response. I'm not looking for a verbal response. How many leaders do you know that when there was relational conflict involved in a church, that the leader examined, examined his life, and later on he got up and he said, here's what the Lord showed me about my heart. Part of the conflict is due to me. I'm sorry. I repent. Will you forgive me? How many leaders do you know that that has happened? Not looking for a response. For me to say to a follower, Resolve your difficulty, admit when you're wrong. If I don't do it myself, I become a hypocrite. Look at the speck in your own eye. And then over in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15, he would say, pursue peace. In the context of Christ being more than sufficient, in the context of body relationships, and I realize Colossians 3 and verse 15 sometimes is used, well, this is the way I make decisions. But the context is not decision-making. The context is body relationships. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Think about relational conflict in the body, in the family, in marriage, pursuing peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. 
We won't turn to James 4, but there he talks about humility. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And he says, they come from you, the battle or the uh, desires that battle within you and so on. And then he says, humble yourself, therefore, under God. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and flee from him. But humility... Leaders being willing to go to people and say, have I done anything to offend? Have I hurt? If I have, I'll take responsibility. I will seek your forgiveness. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about godly sorrow and repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. Leaders being able to say, I have modeled for you repentance, or godly sorrow. I modeled repentance, and I modeled salvation. I don't think any of you knew me when I was in my late teens and early 20s. I displayed more pride than I care to talk about, more arrogance than I care to talk about. And God had to humble me quite often along the way. Early in our marriage, I think Ruth Ann would say that uh, I was a nice guy, but uh, I probably displayed some pride and arrogance. If that had continued, I would not be a pastor today. You say, why not? No one would have me. There had to be brokenness quite often. Relating to Ruth Ann and some other relationships. And then humbly going to people seeking forgiveness or offering forgiveness. In the valley in which we live, there has been division. There's been relieving. There's been separating. There's been starting something new. We overlook hearts and we blame and we accept passivity. And we say, what's wrong? I would say, what are we as leaders modeling for followers? If I will turn the grace of God into a license for such sensuality and that I deny Jesus Christ as Lord who says there's one body to resolve difficulties and so on, I move somewhat, maybe slowly or quickly, into the category of certain men. 
If the above are lacking in a person, then other actions should be taken to draw a conclusion. Who's responsible for the conflict? Who's unwilling to resolve it? And if there needs to be discipline, then exercising that. Do you ever stop to consider that relational conflict should cause us to stop and look at ourselves, not at the other person? Do you ever stop to consider that relational conflict is God's means in a broken world to cause us to stop and say, what do I need to do different? How do I need to respond differently? Now look at someone else. Now look at church people or look at my wife or look at kids or look at some other believer, but to look at myself. The relational conflict of life becomes God's sandpaper to take off the things in our life so that we become more like Christ and display a greater holiness. Leaders modeling that. Believers being willing to model that for their children for transformation into greater and greater Christ-likeness. Relational conflict results in either humility or pride. I don't think there's any in-between. I either go the humble route in relational conflict or I go the proud route and get defensive. Certain men, Jude says, have come in among you. He doesn't say who they were. He doesn't necessarily try to spell them out. But he says they turn the grace of God into a license for sensuality and deny the only Lord, Jesus Christ. And I think one way that that has happened, down through the pages of Christianity, and in our own area to divide, to leave, to separate, to start something new, overlook heart sin, to blame, to accept passivity. So we have a pastor sitting down with a couple in his church that are having relational difficulties And the pastor says to the husband, you know, you're a pretty proud, arrogant man. You need to apologize to your wife for how you've treated her for the last 20 years. And the man being a very astute student says, Pastor, I'll be willing to do that when you apologize to the 10 people that you drove from our church because they didn't agree with you and you told them to get with the program or leave. I'm following your example. 
See, that stands in contrast to an elder sitting down with a couple and saying, you have some relational difficulties, you need to deal with them. And he says to the husband, picking on a man today, okay, husband, you've been pretty proud. You have not really led your wife. You've not really led your children for the last 15 years. You need to humble yourself. You need to admit that you have not been leading and loving. You've been hiding behind what you see as your wife's failures and your children's failures. You need to stop and look at your own life. And the husband looks the outer square in the eye and says, I'll repent. I'll apologize to my wife and seek her forgiveness because whether you know it or not, word get out that 10 years ago when you had some difficulty in your marriage, you took responsibility, you repented. I'll gladly follow your example because I want to be like you. Teaching and modeling teaching has repercussions for many years. This week, as I was thinking about what I wanted to share, probably got about a third of what I could have shared. I was thinking about a certain man in our area. He's not living now, so you don't need to try to figure out who he is. And my talking to him, reasoning with him, and saying, you're going the wrong way, you're being proud and arrogant. You need to take some responsibility for some wrongdoing in light of some conflict that is taking place. And he, as a church leader, was never willing to do that. And the man who followed him in the church has said a number of times to me and to some other leaders, I don't understand why we have some of the difficulties that we have among believers in our body. Stop and consider what someone before you taught and modeled. So as we think about Jude, don't say, well, it's nice, it has something to say. Certain men Turn the grace of God into a, a license for sensuality and deny your only Lord Jesus Christ, who is sovereign. We could look at other examples, but we'll wrap it up for this morning. Let's pray together.
Father, we know that Jude has a very encouraging slant to it in the sense that you keep your children. But it has a very strong warning because he wrote about certain men. So may we see both involved. And in light of what we discussed this morning, when we stop and look at our own lives, how do we relate in conflict? Are we following certain men and what they teach, where we seek to display pride and arrogance? Follow those who may divide and separate and start something new and so on? Or do we humble ourselves before you? May we be a body of believers as leaders in our marriages, parents and children, in our ministries, in our jobs, be men and women, boys and girls. that pursue humility, brokenness, that pursue peace, that are willing to walk worthy of our calling. And when relational conflict comes, to examine our own heart, to see if I need to make any adjustments. We know we can't escape relational conflict, Father. That's part of life. We'll always have it. But we can respond to it in a godly way through your spirit and the life we have in Christ. May we grow, Father, in displaying peace. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.